Hello, welcome to Biblioscola, a podcast where we discuss various biblical topics and try to give you a little bit of Sunday school for whatever day of the week you're listening to us on. On this week's episode, we're going to continue the discussion that we cut off last week of Colossians chapter 1, the end part of that, and the beginning of chapter 2. This week, we're going to focus on what Paul says concerning his suffering for the body. Paul, as you might well know, was in prison for the body's benefit, not to mention some of the other things that happened, but he says he is glad to suffer for Christ. We're going to ask the question of, are we willing to suffer even a minor inconvenience, much less real suffering, that he suffered? We hope that you'll continue to enjoy our discussion of this section of Colossians, and so please join us. Hey guys, Pastor Matt here at Biblioscola. Thank you for joining us in another episode. Now, mentioned last time, our recording of our discussion of Colossians 1.24 to 2.5 actually took so long that we decided to split it into two parts. The first part, uh, I primarily did the discussion. We focused on the mystery of God concerning the salvation of the Gentiles. And this episode, we're going to actually have Adrian be leading the discussion as he talks about uh, the body and Paul's suffering and Christ's suffering and a whole bunch of other stuff. So we ask that you guys would please join us again and hopefully... Get some more out of what God's word has to say. However, before we begin that, I think it would be good for us to once again read the passage we're discussing. And so it's going to be Colossians chapter 1, starting in the 24th verse. And we're going to go all the way to Colossians chapter 2, ending in the 5th verse. Uh, I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, but I'd ask that you guys would open up your own Bibles or your own translations and read along with the Word of God. Here's what God's words has to say. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, 
in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. I hope you guys continue to enjoy our discussion of Colossians 1.24 to chapter 2.5. Alright, so we're, uh, that's taking more time than I thought it would. So Adrian, why don't you go ahead and, and look through and, and talk about some of what you prepared. Sure. So listen, folks, Matt has taken us on a needed, seriously, a needed theological journey. Matt's right. Uh, the idea, the, well, you know, I'm saved, so I'm not going to study the Bible anymore, is certainly not a biblical concept. It's good for us to acknowledge our limitations. It's good for us to acknowledge our weaknesses as finite humans, but we should be studying Scripture. And Matt has taken us. That mystery isn't just there for the fun of it. It was there for a reason. And Matt has done well digging out what is that all about and what can we learn from that. I want to look at, um, I want to back up and just look at the passage now from a, more of a nuts and bolts thing, which, by the way, neither is superior to the other. Without theology, your entire system is going to fall apart. Let me give you one example. Every teaching about Jesus Christ is scattered all throughout the Bible. Without theology, how do I know that Christ is preexistent? In other words, you, you know, and I might even take a verse out of context and begin to teach things about Christ that are wrong. So theology is very necessary, and also nuts and bolts are very necessary. I think they actually work together. So let's look at this together now. All right, verse twenty-four of chapter one. Uh, this is uh, let's let's go NIV. I've got King James in front of me. Let's go NIV. Now rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh that was lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church. And King James basically says the exact same thing. Um, in fact, is this? Oh, I might. This might actually be King James. For some reason, I thought I had NIV. This must be King James. All right, fine. Whatever. It doesn't matter. So here is the point. Matt, do you think people, the average believer in the United States, do you think they struggle going to church? Or do you think it's their passion and life's desire? Overall, not picky on any individuals. I I think I think there's a lot of struggle nowadays. Um, I, I think um, I, you know, it's kind of hard because then you could always add the caveat of how genuine they are. Or whatnot. No, you're right. But and I, that would be. I think that would be the argument some believers today would make, especially ones that grew up in Christian families. Uh, and I, mm -hmm. myself, were my parents perfect? No, but my mom and dad were sincere Christians. So I, I guess uh, that sincerity bled through to me. I mean, again, were they perfect? Yeah. No, but they were sincere followers of Christ. And they were, they were going to church to worship God. It wasn't a family tradition. The interesting thing is my mom and dad were both first generation Christians. So maybe that's why mm -hmm. they were so, vibrant i don't know but well so sorry no, go ahead all i'm going to say is i think where you're going is there were people that attended church four to five times a week 
that really mm -hmm. how much impact and i'm not judging them i'm glad they were in the lord's house but i, I think some believers younger believers noticed that like they weren't super loving or they weren't some of the very things they taught in Sunday yeah. school and stuff were the, the joy of the Lord and the power of the Holy spirit didn't seem to be a part of some of their lives. Again, mm. a massive generalization. There were many genuine believers and, and attending church. That's right. a wonderful thing. So this is not me criticizing people for attending church. But I, I guess I, so from personal experience growing up, I wanted to attend church. That was my desire. Um, but you know, when I got to college, there were some points that it was hard to attend. And I was going to a Bible college. I was trained to be a pastor. Um, but I had a hard time at points because in part, the church I grew up with, I felt the love of Christ. I felt like we were part of the same Christian family, but I had a hard time finding a church like that in college. Um, I, 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 think I went to four or five different churches. I finally found one that I liked. I think it was my, oh, it was my junior year maybe, but that's two years where I had a struggle finding a church. And there were some Sundays where I could, I, I know I used the excuse of, well, I need, I couldn't find a ride, but that was an excuse. Um, so I think to be fair to some people, as much as I want to say how genuine are you, but sometimes it does come from a, how good of a, good of a feel are you getting from the church you're attending? Um, if it doesn't feel like they love God and if you don't feel God's love from that church, and sometimes that can be your personal issue, but sometimes that's the church issue. I think that can really play a factor in of do you want to go? I think you're right. I think not that that, like you say, it's not an excuse. Um, I had a, a slightly different perspective. Um, but again, my parents were very instrumental in this is that, um, you know, I didn't always agree with some of the churches I went to, but I got from my parents that my job as a believer was to enhance the body of Christ. And, you know, if this is where God had mm -hmm. put me uh, and they also, my parents fostered in me, just this strong desire to be in the Lord's house. And it's never really left me. You know, some people were like, well, if you weren't a pastor, yeah. you would, I'd be like, no, <laughs> I, it's probably because of the way my parents raised me, but uh, just this strong desire to be in, even, even in the workforce. But that being said, I understand what you are saying. I can see how that would be a struggle for a believer. And I've got great news because I think Matt, you've hit it on the head. That is a struggle right or wrong. Some believers have today. And I, I think another struggle believers have, if we are getting close to the end times, the Bible says that selfishness is going to be a huge problem in our culture. And I think, too, our culture really pushes this idea of just us pleasing ourselves. Like, that's a huge idea that's just in every possible way just pushed into our minds that we are so important and that everything needs to be tailored to, to me. Um, but I got good news. Paul is serving, he is in jail right now, and he is suffering afflictions for the sake of the body of Christ because it's Christ. So he's looking at what Christ did for him, everything Christ suffered. He's like, well, I get a chance to suffer for, for Christ back. And it's, what a beautiful picture, you know? And so, you know, um, so I, I understand the frustration of people that, 
they might come to my church or your church or someone else's church. Like, I don't really like this. I don't really like that. I don't really like this about pastor Adrian, you know, but the thing Mm. is, is I think we need to look, this is Christ's body. And if we're really in love with him, now, again, if the church is teaching false doctrine or they're doing something horrible, child sacrifices or something, I mean, obviously, right. duh, you know, leave. But I'm just saying uh, God called Paul to be in prison for the body's benefit. I think to give him time to write. I never understood that when I was younger. I think Paul was so busy serving, God literally had him incarcerated so he would have more time to write. I could be wrong about that. Um, and Paul was glad to suffer for Christ. And I... I've got a quote from Keith Green here. It's one of his songs. Jesus rose from the grave and you can't even get out of bed. Oh, Jesus rose from the dead. Come on, get out of your bed. I I really think that that is something believers they need to take to heart is that um, it's okay to say, I love the Lord, but am I willing to suffer for him? And what they don't realize is suffering isn't always having a gun put to your head and saying, do you deny who Jesus is? I think we all like to think we'd be worthy of that. We would go to jail for Christ. But I say to husbands sometimes in marital counseling, would you die for your wife? Yes. I'm like, well, if you die for your wife, then is taking out the garbage on Tuesday night really that big of a deal then? You're talking about leaving this earth and leaving everything you hope to accomplish behind for the sake of your wife then is humbling yourself for five seconds of freedom. You know what? You might be mad at your wife because you feel that she said this unkindly to you or whatever you're miffed at her. But even if you were miffed at her, would you throw yourself in front of a gun for her? If you would go to that extreme, then probably you should take out the trash on Tuesday night. (laughs) And and I think that that's the problem in the Lord's house. People want everything to be perfect in church, but I think they have the wrong, the wrong motive. They're there and maybe they're suffering. Maybe the church they're going to is hurt or injured or not working properly. And maybe it is stale and dying, but maybe it's their job to help bring it back, you know, and maybe they're suffering and they don't know what roads these believers have walked. And maybe at one time these believers were more joyful and more happy in Christ. And maybe Satan has just beat them down and tricked them to the point where they're all enslaved. And you're really the hero of the story. But you're going to have to suffer for a few years in a loveless church and love these people. And finally, one day, some older brother or younger mm-hmm. brother says, man, you know, so-and-so, I've given you a hard time. But, man, I tell you what, I, I praise God you're in our church. And I've said a lot of hard things to you in the past three or four years. But you've always been kind to me. And the other day, what you said to my son, it meant the world to me. You know, I, I, I think mm-hmm. we need to. Anyway, so. I don't know. I, I put down a problem today. We can't be bothered to suffer inconvenience, much less real suffering. I, I think that we're too focused on ourselves. Christ didn't want to go to the cross. He really didn't. Right. He let us know that. He was glad to do it for us. Don't get me wrong. He wanted to save us. But I think he wanted us to know taking on all the sins of the entire world was not his A plan. That wasn't what he wanted to do. He did it for us but it wasn't a challenge or a, a marathon or something he was looking forward to, you know, Oh boy, you know, right. I, I, I don't think I could take on the sins of a hundred people. I, I just being, can you imagine all the guilt, all the, I think yeah. I would go mad. Can you imagine taking on the guilt of a Nazi guard, a rapist, a murderer? I, I don't know. 
I, I, I think I'd go crazy. I, I, I feel guilt now. I had to struggle with that before Christ. I can't imagine taking on the sin guilt of my city, you know, or, or my county, right. much less every human being that ever lived everything wrong they ever did. My gracious. I can't imagine. Right. Well, any thoughts before I go to the next thing? No, no, no. Go ahead. And- All right. Well, then. So here's the interesting thing. So he's suffering, right? But here's the really cool thing about the body. And I think subliminally, the world is totally telling us the church is irrelevant today. In fact, the Christians may not even be a force of good in our world. And the Bible might be a, a kind of a negative force in our world. And I think that subtle force discourages us in church. We see low attendance or we see low whatever and we get discouraged. Well, listen to what Paul says. So the first thing is he's suffering for the body and he has a role in the body. He says this, verse uh, 25. He says, wherefore I am made a minister according to, um, actually, uh, yeah, this is definitely a different translation. I'm going to use it in 25. I have become its servant, talking about the, the church, by the commission God gave me to present the word of God in its full, to you, the word of God in its fullness. What a beautiful thought. As a pastor, Paul considered it his vital job to present the word. A pastor gets up in the pulpit and five people are in the crowd. It's got to be discouraging. It's got to be discouraging. Mm-hmm. I get up. Sometimes we've been up to 50 and then we fall back to 30 or 20. And sometimes after being at those high, heady marks and then either people move or they get angry or or, or whatever happens, you know, it, And I have to remember that my role in the body has nothing to do with the rest of the body. My role in the body is, in other words, if my foot is diseased, it should have no effect on whether my hand does its job or not, or my eyes. I mean, my foot can really hurt, and that's going to affect my hand and my eyes in some ways. But I need my hand and my eyes to do their jobs. Uh, Just because my foot's hurting doesn't give everything else an excuse to be like, well, whatever, we're all going to take the time. You you know what I'm saying? Or am I I being unclear? Right. No, no, I think you're being clear. All right. So Paul took this very seriously. In fact, uh, I've got down from Keith Green here. He says, how can you be so dead when we've been so well fed? Man, we have the Bible online. We have whatever Bible teacher you'd like to hear. You can hear them. You can hear messages from any pastor you want to. And I think there's going to be, I think a famine of God's word is coming like the Old Testament talks about. I don't think it's a famine of there won't be Bibles around. I think it'll be a famine of understanding it. But I think the problem is, is we have so much knowledge and ability and so many ways. We can administer to 24 hours a day if we wanted to. We can pipe God's word into our car. If we are independent contractor, we can listen to it on the job. We can we can read it. Uh, we have free time generally in our culture. People whine that they don't, but they seem to have time to do watch movies or play on their cell phone or whatever. We have time to study God's word. We have time to listen to God's word. We have time to listen to songs about God. But I think too often we don't realize that our role in the body is vital. And I wonder if some churches aren't functioning well 
because they're missing parts of their body. What do you think about that, Matt? Are some churches struggling and people, other believers hmm. are judging them and stuff, but do you think sometimes they're actually missing things that are people that are supposed to be there so they're not working very well? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting thought. Um, you know, I think that could be true. Um, you know, if we believe that God has given us and, and equipped us each differently, um, it ha has, and, and I, you know, I think uh, the, the parable of the talents, uh, God, um, you know, each of us are equipped differently. Some may be better or whatever, but we're, we're equipped. We're given gifts. We are truly given gifts by God. And if we're not utilizing that, maybe sometimes it might be that whatever church we were at, we left because of maybe important reasons, maybe dumb reasons. And then we're now suddenly at a different church where they don't need that. Well, maybe that was an indication that there should have been some prayer and thought before leaving. Um, especially if it was under some dumb reason, like Aunt Gertrude of the church wasn't quite as nice as you would have hoped. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you know what, too? I think sometimes believers get plugged in the jobs that they're not. I've realized something. Mm -hmm. if, so check this out. If someone has the gift of leadership, it will generally manifest. You can kind of notice that yeah. people like to listen to them, and they don't like to see chaos. A person with the gift of, now I'm chaotic. So people want to say, well, you're chaotic. Yeah, but I don't like to see things leaderless. I have a hard time. Yeah. Or, or like, I really hate to see inefficiency. Like, so there's a, a work day, a church work day. And maybe a believer with the gift of helps wants everybody possible to be there because that's how they understand the body of Christ. And they want everyone to be able to help. Yeah. But me, I'm like, man, we're wasting half these people's time. They don't even know how to do the jobs we're doing. So they're right. just standing around because we're wiring something. I don't know how to wire anything. I can help, I guess, pull something through something or hand you a tool. And so mm -hmm. I think that, yeah, I think that, um, so like at our church, there's a guy named Jake. And I've noticed Jacob was really faithful in Sunday school. And I've noticed that Jacob has the gift, I think, of helps. Like Jacob will see a need and be kind of like, well, I'd be glad to do that or whatever. Or we're like, hey, can you do this? Right. Yeah. I'd be, and so now he's working up in the sound booth. Could I work in the sound booth? I guess. Would I have any passion for it? Not really. I would do it if it had to be done. Uh, give me another example. Mm -hmm. We have a lady this week. I think she has the gift of helps, Lorena Baker. And she did our snack time this year at VBS. And the lady that did it before did an awesome job. So it's not that the lady before did bad. Mm -hmm. But Lorena Baker, just you could tell how much effort and time she put into her job. Like, yeah. now I don't have to teach the teens. You could put me back doing snacks, but I really do think that I've been given a gift of leadership and I've been given a gift of teaching. Yeah. So even though I could do snacks, I don't think I would do it as well as someone else. I would do it mm -hmm. if it needed to be done. Now, Go ahead. Sorry. Right. No, no. Finish your thought. Well, I just, quick. so it's like you can use a crowbar as a hammer. I would imagine you could pound yeah. nails in with it, but you'd be better off with a hammer to pound nails. in. Go ahead. Right. Well, and that's the, sometimes, um, I, I have a lady at my church who, um, in a previous church, she was forced to do Sunday school and, and, um, 
interact with kids. And, and she herself said that wasn't really where my gifting was. And I think sometimes in churches, we see someone not doing something and we go to something that's stereotypical. So uh, if it's a woman not doing something in church, well, she, she's got to be somehow plugged into the children's ministry. Um, and, and I think there, there are some people who have some grand talents. Um, and, and one of our jobs as, as pastors of the church and, and, and leaders should be saying, okay, we know everyone's got a talent, but let's not just plug them into the first thing that seems good, but let's actually think about it. Let's talk with them. Let's figure it out. Pray about it. Um, and, and so I think there are some other people that they're not doing much in ministry because they've always been told this is your, this is what you should be doing because of A, B, C, or D. Um, maybe it's what your father did. Maybe it's, you know, uh, your brother was like that. Yeah. Just because um, your dad's a pastor doesn't mean you, you have to be one, you, you know, mm -hmm. you're not letting Christ down. If God's called you that that's fantastic. But if you're not empowered to do that, right. you're going to be very, where you're not called to be a minister. I think you're going to have a very rough life. You're not going to like it. You're going to do it because right. you think it, you're going to, well, all these churches have empty pulpits. Well, okay. Yeah, that's true. But that's, that's God's problem. And, and that, that's not me mocking <laughs> the Lord. I, I can't save everybody in the entire world. I have to let God right. deal with that. I have to, what does God want me to be doing? You know what I mean? And and I have to do that to yeah. the best of my ability. And I tell you what, too, if we had a bunch of leaders at church, actually, it would be terrible. Leaders aren't always actually good at things. Uh, sometimes they just realize how to organize people to get something done. And they notice somebody, mm -hmm. they empower people. They're like, hey, you know what? You're really good at this. Uh, why don't, would you mind doing this? Because you're way better at it than I am. You know? Um, right. So and I think too, like you say, traditional jobs. Well, sometimes I think we need to look at what God's doing in our church. Like we have a young lady in our church that's quiet, and now she does help with children's mm -hmm. ministries, but she's a great artist. And at VBS time, she does a lot of the pre-artwork for our VBS, and it makes it look really sharp. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a gift. I don't know that that's necessarily a spiritual gift, but it's definitely a talent that God's given this young, this young lady. And it is definitely used to further the body of Christ. Cause I right. can't do it. I can't draw like she can. Hmm. Well, so anyway, so there's a body and Paul knew what his role in the body was. It wasn't that Paul was too good to be a servant. We know that Paul, when he was Saul, held cloaks or held clothes when Stephen was getting stoned. Even as a non-believer, Paul was zealous to make a difference in wherever arena he was. But our role is important. Yes, your pastor can clean the building. Your pastor can shovel the walk. And this isn't me. I realize I'm a pastor. Oh, you're just, no, I'm just saying. You can have your pastor, they can mow the lawn, they can paint the church, they can, they got lots of time. But if you want them to study God's word, which is their primary job, then other people are going to have to do some of those other things. Not that the pastor can't help with those things, but if you fill all his time, then you're really showing you don't have much value for the Bible. And you're also subtly communicating that to the pastor too, is that we really don't hold the Bible in very high esteem because we assume that 
you just must crank these things out in three minutes or less. So we're not really worried about it. So basically his role in the body is gift is teaching. You'll notice he wants to present the word in its fullness. I like that. He Matt talked about studying God's word. That's the only way you're going to present the fullness of the gospel is you're going to keep studying it. By the way, Timothy says that a minister should be in study of the Bible. And it, the Bible says that will become apparent to those that listen to them. And the last thing is uh, he pre presents the word in wisdom. And I think that's great. He's not being... Uh, immodest or prideful, he prays for them to have wisdom, and he's walking in the same wisdom himself. I, I think that's great. Dr. Lineball used to ask kids that came into his office at Davis Practical Bible College, he said, are you spiritual or not? And they were like, uh. And he's like, he's like, but that's a state you can know. And some people were like, well, I'm not really sure if I am or not. Well, no, I don't think that's true. I think that that is something you can know. Um, in other words, are you seeking God's face? Are you meditating on his word? Are you serving him? We could all serve the Lord more more effectively or wish we had done things differently. But I, I think there is a point where we can say, yeah, I'm seeking God. Or we could honestly look at our lives and say, no, I'm pretty much serving myself. If I look at the amount of time I spend on the Lord, I'm, it's pretty obvious. I'm just in this for me. Um, and so... I think a lack of desire in God's house discourages spiritual gifts. In other words, so the pastor's preaching, but no one hardly shows up. That pastor's going to get discouraged. Yeah. Imagine a pastor has nobody yeah. to preach to one week. That's going to be pretty disheartening. Or, you know, and then mm -hmm. other people. So somebody has a gift of helps and they're all excited about doing VBS and they hope the kids get saved. They've been praying and they come in and the pastor kind of just comes in haphazardly and says, I haven't even looked at the lesson. Let me just see it real quick. And, and there's no excuse. It's not like he's been doing a lot. And he says, I, I hate this ministry anyway. I, I wish we didn't even do this. Well, <laughs> well, you're going to discourage this person that, that, that just really wanted to minister to children. Now they're like, Oh, you know, is, is does God even want us doing VBS? You know? Right. Well, the last thing I'd like to bring out is Paul has passion for the body. But you know what I want to close with? Because we kind of have gone long today is verse four. So he's got passion. That's great. By the way, you know what the passion is for them to be unified in love. You know, sometimes I would say if you ask some Christians, what does God want you to be passionate about? Sometimes it would be rebuking sin. Well, you know what? That's fine to rebuke sin. That That's good. That's okay to stand up for the Lord. But in Scripture, the passion, I think, is for unified believers. Now, unified believers need to be absent from sin. I think the more sin you have, the less unified you're going to be as believers. But what I mean is Paul's big passion was for love and believers to be unified. And I, I don't think a lot of believers would come up with that as the heartbeat of the church, that we need to be unified and in love with each other. I think sometimes you're like, no, we need to resist the forces of darkness. You know, well, that's good. It's good to resist right. the forces of darkness. But I, I, I don't know where Christians, you know, I don't know, by, by how we act and how we treat each other, not, mm. not so much our doctrine. I mean, our doctrine is important, but it, 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 should be, right. it should be expressed. Well, anyway, so what happens in verse 4, I tell you this, so no one will deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. I, um. I, I call this Pusuedo. Uh, Am I saying that right, Matt? Pseudo body. Is it pseudo body? Is that how you uh, say it? Pseudo. Pseudo. Yeah, pseudo. 
So you got passion for the body, you have a role in the body, you realize it's Christ's body, and that's what gives you passion for it. Even if the people around you don't deserve your work and your love, you are doing this for Christ. He loves them, you love them, and that's your motivator. And then, but at the end here in verse four, it says it warns us about the pseudo-body. And it says, I tell you this, so no one will deceive you by five sounding arguments. Um and, I, and I, I really think that's worldly philosophy. Um, and I, I find that, you know what? Real scripture builds up other people. It convicts of sin. It moves us to a desire to walk with Christ. I'm not talking about reading the Bible for five minutes, looking at your watch and saying, I'm done and walking off. I really don't know that that has much of a difference. Um if you don't remember anything you just read, did you really read anything? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm being honest. But what I'm talking about is if you have a desire to seek Christ, the world comes along and says, well, you Christians really don't understand, fill in the blank, the United States, life, science, whatever it is. And they begin to give you fine-sounding arguments. And they begin to criticize the Bible and believers and things like that. And Paul's like, don't get tricked. Why? Because moving back all through this passage, there's one very clear thing. Wisdom only comes from God. So when the world comes with us with these pseudo-arguments, there is no wisdom behind them. They do not serve God. They do not follow God. Their motives aren't, even if they think their motives are pure. And whatever they set out to do, they're building their lives on sand. And it's going to fail. They are going to fail. And they're going to create strife. And I've even seen this in believers. Man, I don't know if you have too. Like sometimes I have believers that will start to discuss scripture, which sounds great, right? But they discuss such, right. a, such a vague point. It's not like how many angels can fit on the head of a pin, but it's like nothing that there's no scripture on scripture and they talk and they talk and they talk. And I finally realized yeah. I'm not being blessed. There is no way to know the answer that I know of to this question or, or this observation. And even if this observation is true, what does that have to do with my spiritual life or my deeper understanding of the church or Christ? I, I don't think it has anything to do with anything. It's just this obsession that this, yeah. And I, I wonder as people get away from Christ, if they become obsessed with things in the Bible and things that um, are great, but. They just really get so obsessed with yeah. finer details that it doesn't bless anyone. I think because God's not even in it. I don't think God's even in what right. they're saying. Go ahead. No, no, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and you joke that it's not about how many angels on a pinhead, but that was the problem of, of that set of uh, what we call scholastic teachers is they started to move away from what were important discussions to stuff that no one was even concerned about. That there was no reason to be concerned. That they just kind of talked. Yeah, even if you do the answer to that question, which I, I mean, it, it boggles the mind that that would even be a question. I, I don't even, I don't understand theologically. You even come up with that, but, but regardless, let's say it's a valid point. Let's find out. They find out ten, which I don't even know how that would work, but ten can. What good does right. that do me to know that? It does mean no good to know that information. Mm. Just it's irrelevant. And, and I think the problem with that question is there's no way. And I will maybe you'll disagree with me on this. 
I think that was one thing early in my Christian faith I struggled with, genuine, legitimate, sincere believers who were legitimately concerned that we worship God in music. That's a legitimate concern. Mm. And they did have some fair points in this area. So not making them out to be clowns, buffoons, or dummies. They wanted to protect God's holiness. They wanted to protect the worship of God's house. They didn't want, in their minds, to let the world inside the church. And there's still a lot of feeling of this today. I respect some of those thoughts. But my point is, is that in sometimes some of those discussions and arguments, they turn into arguments that really had no edifying or answers. Uh, is a syncopated beat really evil or not? I, I, I don't know. I don't think so. Right. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how from God's word you can come up with that. They're like, oh, yeah, if you look at what? I mean, they dance to some of this music. So what are you looking at? <laughs> you know, David danced naked. Yeah. Almost, well, I don't think he was totally naked, but whatever. I mean, um, you know, he was obviously, they used tambourines, man. I'm not trying to be mean, but you don't do quiet harp music with tambourines. So my point is not to argue for right argue for or against music. It's just that in some of that discussion, I think that it turned into vain jangling and that it moved into areas to win the point or the argument or whatever. It's okay to mm. say, Hey, we need to be careful how much of the world we are allowing in our worship. Well, that's a good point. If someone sings in a bikini on Sunday morning and gyrates, I, I would say that probably be anti-biblical. And I think I could bring some text to bear. You know, people might say, well, that's just your opinion. Well, the Bible says we need to be modest and we need to be be chaste and stuff. I, I don't think that'd be very chaste. So and that's right. a very worldly thing. Like you have a form of dance today that literally imitates sex act. I don't even understand hmm. what relevance that would have as a believer. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. You know, like, in other words, you're twerking. What you're doing is you're simulating sex. I Really? Right. <laughs> no way. Uh, in what context as a believer is that a good idea? Especially if you're dancing in front of people that are, you're not even married to. You know, what, what are you doing? You know, mm -hmm. are you offering to have sex with them? You know, I'm not trying to be a prude here. I'm just saying, so I'm not saying that we can't use some logic as believers to really think and pray about things and say, yeah, you know, I, I know sister so-and-so is newly saved and she wants to sing. I think there's a big difference between like, two people being mad at a new believer Christian sincere in her faith that they might disagree. Oh, well, her skirt was two inches above her knee or something. I, I understand. And daughters, if you're mad at your dads, understand they're just trying to follow the Lord and they're just doing the best they can. They're not always right. <laughs> okay. But I mean, I wasn't always right, but I was trying to protect my kids modesty or whatever, whether I was always correct or not. But the bottom line is, that's a big difference between a, a, a young lady coming up in a bikini gyrating for Sunday morning worship. I, I would hope every believer would be right. extremely uncomfortable with that and say, I, I would be uncomfortable with a man in a Speedo doing the same thing. I'd be like, oh, uh, yeah, that hmm. is, I mean, that is no place in God's house. What are you doing? Right. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think we can use biblical common sense. I just think we need to maybe use other believers, do it for edification uh, be like, well, we're not comfortable with that at our church anyway. I, whatever God wants to do in your church is, I guess, your business. But we've all prayed about this. And, yeah, we don't, uh, you know, 
uh, the jet engine you want to buy and put in the parking lot for song time and just turn it on and sing to it. We're not all convinced that's a good idea. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I can't prove to you in the Bible you can't sing to a jet engine, but I, I'm just not saying I, we're just not there as a church. And we don't know that that's the wisest use of God's resources. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. It just, I think it's when we get obsessed and it turns into schism and it turns into people getting angry with each other. And it turns into, I'm like, I think if we're all seeking Christ, you know, we're going to be patient with each other, yeah. merciful with each other. Sometimes we're going to decide, yeah, this doesn't really matter. Other times we're going to be like, yeah, I need, we need to talk about this. All right. Um, you know, I've really enjoyed all of our discussion, but we are kind of running long. So why don't you go ahead and uh, close us off in a word of prayer? Oh, yes. An hour and 19, although it won't be when it's edited. <laughs> That's definitely long. Father, Lord, lots of vain jangling in my life. Discussions about church polity, denominations, uh, you know, theology, this and that. Some have been beneficial and some, Lord, have been vain jangling and even detrimental. Father, Lord, help us as believers to seek your face. Help us as believers not to get discouraged, but to go deeper in your word. Help us a desire to understand the deeper things of God's word. That's what Biblia School, I believe that's one reason Matt formed this podcast, was to help people to go deeper than the surface, to get something more while they're driving in their car, cleaning their house, or maybe just wanting to hear your word for a little bit. I pray you would bless them, bless Matt and I, Father, Lord Jesus, help what we say be good and godly. Father, for the edification of the body of Christ, I pray for all believers in these dark times that we would draw closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Biblia Scola. We hope you continue to express a desire to know more of God in His Word. Look, please leave us a comment. If you have any questions or even just to encourage us, let us know that you were blessed. Our desire, though, is to educate and not to sow confusion. So please don't be afraid to ask like, hey, I didn't understand that at all. Uh, this is a production of Presbyterian Baptist Church and Ostberg Baptist Church, coincidentally, where Matt and I both pastor from. And may I just close by saying, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the love of God, in the communion of the Holy Ghost, be with you all. Amen. God bless.